study by Probe Ministries reveals that over 70% of the evangelical church does not have a biblical worldview. Instead of the church being salt and light in the culture, the culture is transforming the church. Most churches today are filled with congregants who have embraced false teachings and have accepted sinful living as normal. How can Christians and Christ's church turn this tide? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our broadcast, Pat will conclude his interview with Kirby Anderson regarding what Christians must do if we hope to successfully renew the church and engage our culture for Christ. I was just recently, a couple weeks ago, on a radio show, and the host asked me something about homosexuality. And he says, does that go against what the Bible teaches? And I was a little caught off guard. And I said, well, yes, that goes against biblical teaching. And he said, what about transgenderism? And I said, yes, there's only two genders in the Bible. And people were calling up, and they would start by saying, you know, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking, oh, great, we got a, a friendly phone call here. And he goes, it's people like you who are intolerant, who are judgmental and arrogant. It's people like you that cause wars and conflicts. It's people like you, you know, and things that I'm just, I always get caught off guard, and I really shouldn't. And then the next phone call I get is, hi, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. And I'm like, great, we got a friendly phone call. And he goes, and, and it's people like you once again. I've, you know, my son is in a gay relationship. And there's nothing wrong. The Bible is fine with it. Gee, God loves everybody. And also, I continue to get caught off guard, but I shouldn't. But, you know, when I'm speaking in churches, this is happening quite often now, where I might just mention gay marriage and a side comment. Or uh, without Christ, people spend eternity in hell, separated from him forever. Or transgender, there's only two genders in the Bible, male and female. And how many people in church will stand up, say something obnoxious? I've, I haven't seen this before. I'm seeing it a whole lot more now. Say something obnoxious to me in the middle of the sermon and make a big scene as they exit. And I'm seeing it more and more and more in churches that I speak at. And so I agree with you on what we're seeing here. Are you seeing that as well? Well, and again, I have jokingly said over the years that when I would speak, especially to youth groups, that uh, the most quoted verse was not John 3.16, it's uh, Matthew 7.1, judge not that you might be judged. And every time I would get that, I would say, now, just assuming that your interpretation is right, I don't agree with it, but uh, then can you explain a few verses later why Jesus refers to individuals as dogs and all sorts of stuff, and, and he makes comments about the Pharisees as whitewashed sepulchers and all that kind of stuff. That sounds pretty judgmental. I said, I think really what you're dealing with in Matthew 7 here is that Jesus is saying, don't be a hypocrite. Don't look at the speck in someone else's eye when you've got a log in your own. But this has been used as a verse, and there are other comments being used up even apart from the ch uh, church, saying, well, you're not not to judge. Don't judge. You're not supposed to judge. Not to make any moral judgments, which is, of course, a completely wrenching one verse out of Scripture. When you think of all the verses, you can go home tonight, for example, if you're listening to this, and maybe get on one of these computer programs and type in the Bible and then the word discernment or sound mind, sound judgment, moral 
choice, and you will see there are all sorts of verses that uh, both in the Old and New Testament encourage us and even really command us to make moral choices and to make moral discernment and to call people out for uh, any kind of immorality. So this is where we have, as a culture, in the Christian world even, adopted kind of this doctrine, almost this uh, philosophy of non-judgmentalism, and a lot of that has to do with personal experiences. I've noticed over the years that when I was teaching in a Bible school or a seminary, I would listen to the pronouns. When I first started teaching, this was back in the late 1980s, uh, even in 1970s sometimes, uh, when they talk about divorce, they'd say, no, those people. And then later on said, we, and I noticed that. When you talk about, um, for example, living together, cohabitation, they used to say, you know, those kids living together. Now, kids in our congregation living together. And then when they start talking about homosexuality, it was they, but then it was eventually, no, we, you know, we have people that have homosexual temptations inside the church. And in every case, you can see what has happened. We've sort of compromised our philosophy, our biblical admonitions, and our biblical statements to actually mirror the culture. And this is one of the reasons why that first survey we did was actually called Probe Culturally Captive Christians, because as you well know, what we were dealing with is that in Colossians 2.8, it tells us not to be taken captive by false teaching and false ideas, or you could, in addition to Colossians 2.8, think of Romans 12.1 and 2, do not be conformed to this world. But we have within the church today a lot of places where people have been conformed to a secular view of the world, conformed to kind of a tolerance view of the world, in part because they now know people that uh, they don't want to necessarily be judgmental of, and so they've changed their theology to match the world. And I recognize that you and I and others other Christians are going to find more and more difficulty beginning to address some of these ethical issues because they just simply can't bring themselves to say that certain kinds of behavior are right and certain kind of behavior is wrong. Certain things are true, and by definition, other things are false. And yet that's the world that we're going to have to minister to, and it's due to everything from postmodernism in the truth category to relativism in the ethical world, and that's why in churches and in talk shows, quickest way to pick a fight is not to even try to pick a fight, but just simply say that I believe the Bible is true and Bible says certain kind of behavior is wrong and certain kinds of actions are wrong, that will immediately raise the temperature in the room because people have bought into this idea of non-judgmentalism. Yes, well, Kirby, Generation Z, the generation that ends the Christian influence in America, that's a good question, because in every one of these groups, Pat, individuals that are, you know, we still have the best and the brightest. I still, on my radio program, have a millennial roundtable, and we try to even bring in some Gen Z in there as well. And so there are still very dedicated Christians who are Orthodox, but they're a smaller percentage. And so the question is, will that be the end? We would hope not, but it is certainly, I think, fair to say that whereas we were a Christian nation, and by that I don't mean that everybody was a Christian. I don't mean that even all the founders were Christians, but I do mean that there was sort of a reigning Christian worldview, and that has evaporated for some time. 
But still, the hope was is that there would always be a remnant, and there is that remnant, but it's a much smaller remnant. And so the question is that unless we begin to speak to this culture, educate individuals about what a biblical worldview is, and help them begin to, if you will, push off some of these dark ideas in the darkness of our culture, yes, we probably would predict a greater darkness. But apart from a revelation that comes from God or a revival or reformation, those are the things that we recognize are the great hope. But I think if you look at these numbers, you have to ultimately recognize that uh, this does not look good for the future, and it's all the more reason to redouble our effort and recognize how important this is. So for pastors listening, I would say that it's going to be even more important for you sometimes from the pulpit to address some of these issues. When we look at, for example, any of the athletic teams, whether it is those that went to the World Series or those that go to the Super Bowl, we know that they start with spring training. And so I think it's going to be important sometimes in the church to do a little bit of spring training, maybe do a series on the essential gospel. Uh, It's going to, or maybe to use a different analogy, since we're talking about some of the hostility out there, to actually see that church, maybe youth groups are basically like a boot camp to get them ready for engaging the world. And so I do see some positives in the midst of that, but I also think that I would be very naive if I weren't to say that these trends end up going in the other direction. And Pat, sometimes people say, is at the end of Christianity, some people say, what's the next generation? If you've had Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z, what's next? It's interesting that Gene Twenge, who came up with the term iGen for Generation Z, says really there won't be another generation. Whereas those born after World War II uh, were the baby boomers, because they all kind of came through a common set of experiences. And then you had the Generation X, which are the baby boomers, busters, you could call them, Generation Y, the millennials, they all had a kind of a common experience. But the argument is, is that we won't have in the future, maybe a generational cohort, because a lot of those individuals now aren't going through a common experience other than they're going through the common experience of social media, which also answers one of your other questions. Why is it that you're seeing more and more secularism today? Well, young people in particular spend a lot of time in front of screens, computer screens, video screens, movie screens, or the screens on their phones. And if you think about that, the average young person today spends about 10 hours, probably a day, looking at screens. If you multiply 10 times 7, that's 70 hours a week. And you're supposed to counteract that with a 45-minute sermon or a two-hour youth group. You can kind of see some of the challenges. So that's another action item. And that is, I think, pastors and others are going to have to warn about the dangers of some of the things that we identify as problems in social media. But am concerned about the future, but still believe that God has called us to be faithful and uh, certainly to encourage the remnant that wants to take biblical ideas into this 21st century. Kermit, I want to ask you this question since I don't know anyone better to ask this question to. What effect do you believe politics and the pandemic have had? Oh, a couple of things. First of all, politics, of course, we're more polarized as a country than any time since about the Civil War. Have we been polarized before? Oh, yeah. Look at the American Revolution. Look at the Civil War. Look at a couple other times. But the, the polarization, rather dramatic. So politics has had an impact, no doubt about that. And, of course, since oftentimes individuals who identify as Christians tend to vote Republican. Not always. I mean, there are just as many as exceptions as a rule. But since that is kind of the cultural idea, people sometimes say, well, I don't like politics. I don't like the Republican Party, so I can't 
can't be a Christian. And so that's been a barrier to evangelism sometimes. But then when you look at the pandemic and the lockdown, this is another issue, and that is just the atomization of our society. I know Oz Guinness has talked about this as well, this issue of loneliness and isolation. Because of this, people are spending more time in front of the screens and less time face-to-face. So when you go and speak to various youth groups, and I was just at a Christian Academy recently uh, doing the fundraiser forum and then speaking to the seniors and speaking to the staff and all the rest. If you come to a Christian school or you talk to homeschool kids, they can look you in the eye and they have usually a little bit better relation of skills. But if you talk about the kind of the typical young person today, uh, whether we're talking about uh, Generation Y or Generation Z, but especially Generation Z, they're called digital natives. They have spent most of their time in front of a screen. They've never lived in a world where there wasn't an iPad or an iPhone. That's why Gene Twinge calls them the iGen generation. They really have a lack of sometimes social skills and relationship skills that's kind of important. And so a problem that already existed exacerbated, I think, dramatically with the pandemic and lockdown. And you know only so well, being in Hawaii, that has changed the world in ways we would never have imagined two years ago. If I told you two years ago that there would be governors and mayors closing down churches, closing down various aspects of business and uh, the whole community, you'd think, I've probably lost it. I don't even think some of the preppers would have believed that. But that's exactly what we've been through for the last two years. So It's taken a problem that already existed and made it worse. And so that's one of the reasons why, again, I think we need to pay attention to this and also recognize that there are some real opportunities because there are a lot of people out there that are feeling lonely, isolated, full of anxiety, tendencies toward suicide higher than ever before. So what we need to do is help those individuals that have those very significant emotional and spiritual needs to see the connection between their needs and the answer that is found in the gospel, the answer that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. But yes, those have made a problem that has been going on for some time even worse, and some of the reason why we just need to get back out into the community and do any way we can to reach the gospel to this next generation. Yeah, so Kirby, you've raised a lot of great issues and concerns, and you touched on a little bit about this, but summarize for us then now, what can Christians and the church do here to stem the tide? First of all, I'd say to any pastor, Sunday school leader, small group leader, I've sort of said it, but let me say again, I think there is going to be a real need for you to, if you're talking to individuals in your church, to not assume that those individuals in the church necessarily have a biblical worldview. We've done surveys in the past here at Probe. I can think of one Bible church not so far from where I'm broadcasting here, where we did a survey. The pastor was teaching good doctrine. Matter of fact, he was a professor at Dallas Seminary, but we surfaced all sorts of people in the congregation that weren't thinking biblically. And so I think there's a tendency for a pastor or a Sunday school teacher uh, stand in front of uh, the congregation, in front of the pulpit, or in a Sunday school class in front of the podium and assume that everybody believes what you do. And I think it's going to be really important if you're, first of all, talking to believers to know that even if they're saved doesn't necessarily mean that they're thinking biblically. So there's going to be a need for, as I said before, spring training, boot camp, kind of the essential gospel 
gospel? Why do we believe in the fact that Jesus died and rose again? And how does that relate to this idea of salvation? So we've already talked about um, this idea of pluralism. So I would want to certainly have a sermon on John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When we talk about the need to share our faith, we found that a high percentage of these individuals don't know what the Great Commission is. So take them to Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20. And so that would be the kind of thing that you would want to do inside the walls of the church to really begin to help them understand the need to have a biblical worldview and to make some moral and, if you will, theological distinctions. Now, for the outside the church, it seems to me that I've already talked about what I call the field of dreams myth, this idea that if we are really dedicated, there are going to be people coming in the back of the church and sitting in the congregation and getting saved. Well, that's just not going to happen. We're going to have to reach out to them. How do we reach out to them? Well, certainly radio, what we're talking about right now, is one way. Uh, the Many of these churches that have had Zoom calls or they've done online services, an individual that would never walk into a church might turn on the TV and watch something, and so that could be an opportunity, might turn on their computer and watch something. We also need to do some kind of evangelistic outreach, and those are going to be ways in which we reach out to them because we can't expect them to come to us. But most importantly, as I said just a minute ago, they have needs. There is an incredible amount of evidence, and this comes even from the Centers for Disease Control, of the number of young people that had suicidal thoughts within this last uh, two years because of the pandemic and lockdown, the number with high rates of anxiety, depression. So they already have a need, but what we need to do is help them see that their need can be answered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their need can be answered by trusting in Jesus Christ. Their need can be found by reading God's Word, which is the Bible. And if we do that, I think we're going to have success. And we're going to turn everything around in one generation. I'd like to believe it. I think you have to be somewhat skeptical about that. But God's called us to be faithful. And certainly we have a responsibility to reach out to this generation and share the good news with them. Yes. And I also think, I mean, you speak in a lot more churches than I do, but I, I think a lot of pastors are afraid to address the issues that dominate our culture today. Young people, I think all people are looking for answers to the issues of today. What does the Bible have to say about transgenderism? You know, issues in medical ethics, abortion, euthanasia, genetic engineering. The science answer everything. Is science the measure of truth? And the environmental issues, critical theory. I think they're looking to see, does the Bible have anything to say? They're not hearing it from the pulpits, and so they're going to the Internet or to the media to find answers to the issues that dominate our culture today. And so what you're talking about is pastors gaining a biblical worldview and preaching that Christianity is an all-embracing worldview, and the Bible has answers to these kind of issues, these major issues that people are wrestling with. I don't see enough churches addressing these issues. Is that what you find as well? That is, and again, this is not our survey, but uh, one of the people I enjoy interviewing on a regular basis is George Barna, and he, working with a couple of other people that I have worked with in the past, did surveys, which I thought illustrates your point, Pat, and that is they actually surveyed a number of pastors in conservative churches, and they asked them, do you believe the Bible has something to say about, and of course, some of them were obvious, the Bible has anything to say about abortion, homosexuality, yes, 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 but all the 
the way down to things like immigration and uh, environmental issues, okay? And so they found that most of the pastors agreed that indeed the Bible does speak to those issues. Then the follow-up question was, well, have you preached on that in the last year? And with the singular exception of abortion, and some maybe during Sanctity of Life Sunday might have addressed that issue, they almost all admitted that they did not. Wow. And you talk about the fact that then that's because they're afraid that the congregation would actually rise up and be hostile to them. But then George Barna, to his credit, spent the time then going and asking members of those congregations uh, that were pastored by these individuals, would you like to have a pastor address, and then again, this list of issues? And what was so striking is, is that very high percentage of the people in the congregation were looking for those kinds of answers, but they weren't hearing it from the pastor, and the pastor was not addressing those issues because they thought that it would be controversial. Now, I'm not minimizing that, because what happens when you address, even something like abortion, you can have, if you don't do it correctly, but even if you do it correctly, have somebody that actually did get an abortion feel offended, or an individual that counsels someone to get an abortion be offended. So yes, you're going to sometimes have some people react, but they may actually, in many of these churches, be the minority. But it's a little difficult, as you well know, when you're up there speaking on the issue, to have somebody stand up, shout you down, and walk out of the church. That kind of cools your enthusiasm enthusiasm for covering those issues. But what we're finding is, is that in his surveys, there are a good number of individuals that say, I'm looking for information. I would like to know more about how to take my Christian values into the workplace, into the classroom, into the courtroom, into the newsroom, into the polling place, or, but in the boardroom in particular, but I don't get any understanding about that. I get some kind of feel-good messages, or I learn a little bit more about theology. I learn a little bit more about systematic theology, you learn a little bit more about stories about Jesus Christ, but I don't know how to apply it, and so I'm looking for it, and the pastors, on the other hand, are saying, yeah, well, if I get into that issue, I'm going to lose a donor here, I'm going to get somebody upset with me, and so that's kind of the, if you will, the standoff that we found ourselves in, and George Barna, if you want to find some of his surveys, he's documented that in pretty significant ways. Yes, and that's a great encouragement, I think, for pastors to have the courage to address some of these issues. Now, a lot of them, in order to address these issues, need information so they can address these issues with integrity and with truth. And Probe Ministries is a great place because you folks write on many of these issues, providing a solid biblical worldview. So give us some information, Kirby, how people can get in touch with you. Also, your radio show that addresses a lot of these issues here, Point of View, which is a national syndicated show, but also your website and other ways people can get informed and equipped to address these issues, pastors and lay people alike. Well, again, first of all, the website is probe.org, which is P-R-O-B-E dot O-R-G. Now, if you go there right now, you'll see a little button that shows the survey, so you can go in there and find all the survey results, a lot of articles by Steve Cable that has analyzed this and other surveys and material. Then if you just go out and look at our podcast, we have a podcast, but we also have a radio program. A three-minute radio program is also put in a podcast format as well as an actual podcast, and so you're going to 
see almost 2,000 different articles. So that would keep you busy for a long time at probe.org. But you did mention I also wear another hat, and that is as a host of a show called Point of View. Point of View is at pointofview.net, and there we cover issues every single day. The people that you've interviewed on Evidence and Answers, I interview those and many others. And also we produce these little booklets because I found, Pat, a lot of people say, you know what, I hate to admit it, but I'm not going to probably read a book. But if you give me a booklet that I can read in 10 minutes, I'll read that. And so some of the most recent booklets I've done have been on capitalism and socialism and critical race theory and climate change and work and money and God and science and all sorts of other topics that uh, we try to, first of all, give you some of the basic facts, then what we think would be a biblical response to it. And then we have for further reading uh, what we think are three or four of the best books or articles that you could read. So you can actually say, you know, if you only had 10 minutes, Kirby, and you gave me a biblical view on immigration or a biblical view on the Second Amendment or a biblical view on constitutional interpretation or how would I think about this idea of critical theory? Where did it come from, the Frankfurt School? What about this idea of critical race theory? How should a Christian think about that? Uh, But I'm only going to give you 10 minutes. So what would you say in 10 minutes? That's really what these booklets are all about. So those are available at pointofview.net. But of course, you can find a lot of that same material at probe.org. And most importantly, I encourage people to support you at Evidence and Answers because you're doing the Lord's work. And I think you are certainly worthy of financial support. Thanks a lot, Kirby. You've been listening to our interview with Kirby Anderson, the president of Probe Ministries. And you can go look up information on this great ministry and all the resources that they have at probe.org. And also, he's a nationally syndicated talk show host of the radio talk show Point of View that we hope someday will come here to a station here in Hawaii. Kirby's a well-liked speaker. He's a regular guest on Evidence and Answers and at our annual apologetics conference here in the islands. So, Kirby, thanks again for being with us here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you. It's been a great opportunity. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. You'll find we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, your Bible study, or even schedule a conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Use our search engine for available resources. You'll find we have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcast like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to worship, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Evidence and Answers.